Welcome to Bloodbath, a true crime podcast. What? A true crime podcast? <laughs> it's a little late, but we're here. We're here. It's happening. Wait, wait, wait. True crime, though, like 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 cases about murder and like gore, maybe, or like mm-hmm. robberies. Burglary. Burglaries. <laughs> yes. So if I don't like any of that stuff, I probably shouldn't listen to this podcast. I mean, true crime. No. No. If we're not okay. in the true crime, you're in the wrong area. I'm so sorry. And this is your blanket trigger warning. Stuff happens. Oh, stuff is gonna happen oh God. today. Oh God, mine is a doozy. This will be fun. Be Back sure to rate, bullshit. review, and subscribe <laughs> wherever you get podcasts. It's time for the show. Yeah, so we're back on our bullshit double case feature episode. Ooh, a double doozy. (laughs) One to like seeing the what is it? Phineas and Ferb, but I can I never know the words. I just know the. (laughs) Oh, Doofenshmirtz Evil Incorporated. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thought you were thinking the theme song. I was like, you don't know the theme song. Oh, I know the theme song because like I know the theme song, (laughs) but I never. I can't remember the words. (laughs) All right. Anyway. <laughs> well, that's fun. Uh, who's on first today? You are, since I'm I did first. last week, and we'll get back on our bullshit with double episodes most of the times. <laughs> well, I have a short and sweet little story. Is it actually sweet? No. Okay. I mean, there's okay. There's no murder in mine. I'm sorry. Oh, interesting. Yes. Flip and switch. I did flip the switch. That's actually really good because there are multiple murders in mine. <laughs> yikes bro and i mean a lot coming at you live from new york Mm-mm. not really no illinois <laughs> mine's in uh france so oh okay take us to the other side of the world let's go let's go to france let's go to august 21st 1911 oh that's a long time ago it is that a long is time in ago. the way back mobile <laughs> yes the way back mobile it's yes. not a delorean though Could i couldn't be find that. that word okay <laughs> again well, it's a quiet Monday morning at the Louvre Museum, and there is a blank space on the walls where Leonardo da Vinci's painting, Gioconda, better known as the Mona Lisa, was oh. supposed to be hanging. <gasps> it got stolen. Dun, dun, dun. It actually took 26 hours before anyone noticed that the painting was gone. Like the security guard didn't <laughs> see anything? Yeah. World's worst security guard. Exactly. <laughs> the Louvre Museum is the largest in the world. And security was weak. And at that time, the Mona Lisa was actually not famous. Really? But it became famous because of this. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, there were 60 investigators put on the case. And the biggest discovery of the investigation was found only one hour into it. They found uh, the glass that was placed in front of the painting to protect it from patrons of the museum. Um, it was actually like a controversial thing at the time. People didn't like that they put the glass in front of all the paintings to okay. protect them. They were like, it takes away from, you know, the art and whatnot. But no, it doesn't. It but keeps them safe. It does. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. The museum de- uh, decided to put glass on it. And anyway, this piece of glass that they found was on a staircase. And they determined that the thief must have grabbed the painting off the wall, gone to the stairwell, and then removed the painting from its frame and then left the museum, all unnoticed by security. Oh, my God. Investigators interviewed guards and workers, and they wanted to try and get a timeline set up. 
so that they could figure out exactly when the Mona Lisa went missing, even though it took them 26 hours just to fucking figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that right now, just be like, oh, it's gone. It's gone. Like, like <laughs> the amount of time that's passed. How? You, you got nothing. Um, one worker remembered he saw the painting around 7 on Monday morning and then noticed it was gone an hour later. However, he assumed a museum official took it mm. to, like, go get it, you know, cleaned up or whatever. Yeah. Which makes sense. But also, if somebody was to do that, you'd think that they would have to, like, file out a report or like fill out a paper or something which they probably do now yeah (laughs) and they have cameras now hella cameras (laughs) yeah but i feel like this is like the most perfect storm of how this got stolen because the usual guard for the wing that the mona lisa was in he was at home with his child who had the measles and the replacement guard had left his post for a few minutes around eight o'clock for cigarette break Mm mm-hmm so the investigators had a window now between 7 a.m. and 8.30 a.m. on Monday morning. But also, on Monday mornings, the Louvre closes for cleaning. Oh. So no one was able to place um, a face to anything or anyone suspicious. Alphonse Bertillon, I'm going to, I hope that's how it's said, <laughs> is a famous, was a famous fingerprint expert. He found a thumbprint on the Mona Lisa's glass frame but was unable to match the fingerprint to any that he had on file okay so the investigators were pretty much stumped and could only assume that it was an inside job i was gonna say it seems like it had to be somebody who works there especially because they knew probably like how lucky are you to just be able to do that like you know it's getting cleaned but now you know that this person's out that person's out getting cleaned yeah and the stairwell yeah and the cigarette (laughs) break yeah everything it was just a perfect storm um well this theft became an overnight sensation everyone wanted everyone wanted to know who done it of course um in an article from thoughtco.com it said the the prefect of the police had several theories quoted in a 1912 story in the new york times the thieves i am inclined to think there were more than one got away with it all right so far, nothing is known of their identity and whereabouts. I am certain that the motive was not a political one, but maybe it's a case of sabotage brought about by discontent among the Louvre employees. Possibly, on the other hand, the theft was committed by a maniac. A more serious possibility <laughs> is that La Gianconda was stol- stolen by someone who plans to make a monetary profit by back- blackmailing the government. What? So they had they had no idea. Some said it was a joke. Some said political stunt. Others said it was a... Uh, to prove how lax the Louvre security was, which, like, y- you, you proved it. <laughs> you succeeded in that one. In an article from NPR, it said, In France, there was a great deal of concern that American millionaires were buying up the legacy of France, the best paintings. Dorothy Hubler says at one point, American tycoon and art lover J.P. Morgan was suspected of commissioning the theft. Also, Pablo Picasso was considered a suspect oh, and was shit. questioned. <laughs> Like a rival or whatever. He's like, are you serious? Yeah. Leave me alone. Leave, um, no. <laughs> well, they do call Van Gogh, too. <laughs> <laughs> they can't. He doesn't have his ear. <laughs> <laughs> He's the other one. The good one. <laughs> well, anyway, you slice it. The Mona Lisa was not seen for over two years. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's the fall of 1913. And an antique dealer in Italy named Alfredo Gary, I think, or Jerry. It might be Alfredo Gary placed an ad in the newspaper stating that he was a buyer at good prices of art objects of every sort. And Alfredo received a letter on November 29th, 1913. This letter was from a man stating he had the stolen Mona Lisa 
and he signed the letter Leonardo. Oh. That's it. Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> no. Ninja, ninja, what? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I had a stroke. <laughs> well, Alfredo immediately contacted the museum director of Florence's Uffizi Museum, and they decided together to write a letter in return stating he would like to see the painting before he would offer a price. Okay. So another letter came almost immediately to Alfredo, and it said to go to Paris to see the painting. And he replied stating he could not go to Paris, but instead arranged for Leonardo to meet him in Milan on December 22nd. On December 10th, 1913, an Italian man with a mustache appeared at Alfredo's sales office in Florence. After waiting for the other customers to leave, the stranger told Alfredo that he was Leonardo Vincenzo and that he had the Mona Lisa back in his hotel room. Leonardo stated that he wanted half a million lire for the painting. Damn, that's a lot of money back then. Yeah, it is. Leonardo explained that he had stolen the painting in order to restore it to Italy uh, because it was stolen by Napoleon. Mm -hmm. Thus, Leonardo made the stipulation that the Mona Lisa was to be hung at the Uffizi and never given back to France. Uh, So Alfredo agreed to the price, but said the director of the Uffizi would want to see the painting before agreeing to hang it in the museum. So Leonardo said they should meet in his hotel room the next day. So Alfredo contacted the police and the Uffizi Museum. Mm -hmm. And the next day, Alfredo and the Uffizi Museum director, Poggi, which is his name, I don't know, it's weird, (laughs) they went to Leonardo's hotel room and like straight up out of a movie, Leonardo pulled out a wooden trunk and it had a pair of underwear, some shoes and a shirt. But underneath that was a false bottom that opened. Oh, shit. And so he popped it up. And there was the famed Mona Lisa painting. Pokey said he would need to compare the painting with the other. I'm sorry. What did I type? <laughs> he I'm sorry, what? <laughs> line. He said he needed to compare the painting with the other works by Leonardo da Vinci uh, just to make sure it was real. And he yeah. walked out with the painting. So this Leonardo Vincenzo character actually named Vincenzo Perugia or Perugia. I think. Yeah. Not very clever with that name, but he was arrested. This guy was born in Italy and worked in Paris at the Louvre in 1908. And he had two accomplices with him, Vincent and Michel Lancelotti. (gasps) Vincent van Gogh. (laughs) They had all gone into the Louvre on Sunday morning and they hid in a storeroom closet overnight. Oh my God. Yeah. The next day, they came out dressed in workman's smocks and Mm -hmm. removed the protective glass and frame. The brothers left through the stairwell while Vincenzo walked out the front door with the Mona Lisa under his smock. Oh, my God. He was able to walk out the door because he knew the guards by name because he used to work there. He just said, bye, Charles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. See you later, Tim. <laughs> and, of course, he said his intention was to return to its to return it to its proper home in Italy. Um, okay. But the fame that came with the theft made any move with the Mona Lisa impossible, even selling it, which is what... I, that's I what i was gonna say thought. earlier like i don't feel like this would be a profitable steal because they're gonna know yeah. either that person's gonna rat you out or not want to pay for it because it's stolen and they know they can get in so much trouble you'd have to do it like black market style yeah yeah it was not gonna be easy any way you put it well the mona lisa was put on display at the uffizi in italy uh before it was turned to france on december 30th 1913 and Vincenzo Perugio was sentenced to one year, and uh, that was later reduced to about seven months. Okay. And that's I mean, the story of the theft of the Mona Lisa. So I feel like <laughs> an Animal Crossing. 
Oh my god. There's a little character that comes to your island every once in a while. His name's Red. Mm-hmm. And you can buy art from him. And the Mona Lisa is one it's like actual nice. art. Yeah. But the thing is, is that some of them are fake. Oh. So you don't know though. Like you can take like a deep dive and look at things. Like there's supposedly like you can tell if you actually like know your stuff. But I just feel like they might have taken a Little, little something from that story. Probably. <laughs> put it in animal like, ooh, we're selling fake art. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Now I'm thinking we should have had you go second. So then that could have been like a, a good palate cleanser from oh. what I'm about to tell you. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. So like I said, not your average cup of joe this, this case is. We are covering Ronald Gene Simmons. He's a spree killer slash serial killer. It's more spree than serial, but like some articles say serial killer. Some say spree killer. It's more spree. We'll get into it. Okay. So Ronald Gene Simmons was born July 15th, 1940 in Chicago, Illinois. Not Illinois. Yeah. S is silent. (laughs) And that's where he lived with his parents, Loretta and William Simmons. They're both in the picture until his dad had a stroke on January 31st, 1943, and then died within that year sometime due to complications of the heart, which tend to happen, you know, when you have a stroke. Yeah. His mom remarried to another man named William. Okay. (laughs) Not to be confused with William. Got it. (laughs) This is William D. Griffin, who was a civil engineer for the U.S. Army of Engineers. 1946 came around and the army was relocating William to Little Rock, Arkansas, Arkansas, Arkansas. <laughs> it's going to be so hard not to say Arkansas, <laughs> which meant that Loretta and Ronald would go with him because they're married. They're a family. Over the next decade, they would be moved across central Arkansas. I already wanted to see it <laughs> multiple times due to the army. September 1957, Ronald dropped out of, the, out of high school to join the U.S. Navy. I just, I can't imagine a time where you could just be like, I'm not going to go to school. I'm going to go to the war. (laughs) Yeah. That's insane. I mean, and back in the day too, if you were, if you had a like criminal thing against you, Uh they could be like, you can go to jail or you can go to the military. What? Can't do that now. But yeah. That'd be such bad people in the military. Ooh. But they don't care. They're out there getting them killed and using them as pawns. Well, getting them killed, but also like they're supposedly trying to be better people, Mm -hmm. but they're just out there doing bad things. I mean, it wasn't like you couldn't have a murderer go to the military. That's the first thing I thought of. It's like people (laughs) who, you know, like they stole a car or something. It's like, okay, you can either go to jail for, you know, four years or you can go to the military for two. It probably shaped a lot of people into shape. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I'm not fully against it as much as I was like two minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about it later. Okay. So he was stationed at the Naval Naval Station Bremerton Bremerton, Bremerton in yeah. Washington. Mm-hmm. I'm like pointing up, like up there, you know, yeah, from right, his. Yeah, right there. <laughs> this is where he met Bersabe Rebecca Ulibari, but we'll call her Becky, as most people did in her life. July 9th, 1960, they went to New Mexico and got married. And over the next 18 years, they would have seven kids. Which, wow. like, 18 years is a good, decent amount of time to have seven kids, at least. This, at least it wasn't, like, in a seven-year period or something, you know? Yeah, but still, seven kids is a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids, and he is not a good father. Uh-oh. We'll get into it. Uh-oh. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> 1963, he left the Navy, and about two years later, he joined the Air Force. He was in the military for 20 years, and he was awarded, and you're going to have to explain these, the Bronze Star Medal. Okay, so that's for combat. Cool, cool. 
Republic of Vietnam Gallantry Cross. That's for fighting in Vietnam. Fun, fun. And for his service as an airman and the Air Force. Oh, he got the Air Force ribbon for excellent marksmanship. Ah, that means he's good at shooting guns. Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh no, that does not age well. I'm sorry. Ooh, girl. <laughs> it just means that he's a good good aim. A marksman is, yeah. Not making it better. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just the truth. It is. Mm. <laughs> he retired. This is true crime. We tell the truth here. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we do our research. <laughs> <laughs> he retired on November 30th, 1979 with the rank of Master Sergeant. Sergeant of Masters. <laughs> <laughs> Ronald was far from the person he gave off that he was in the military, though. He was well known because he was feared by people, Yikes. like c- civilians, not mm-hmm. like his military people thought he was great. A friend of his daughter said he had a beer in his hand all the time. He had one little room he would stay in all the time. It was dark and seemed spooky, and it stunk. <laughs> I just imagine her saying that. It's like a man cave, but like gross like gross yeah Yeah. exactly Mm -mm. he was uh his wife attempted to leave him multiple times but always returned most likely because it's really hard to take care of seven children by yourself and also i think there's moments where she thought about you know leaving the children behind and then she was like i can't do that she should always go back and it was also noted that she often had bruises on her as well yeah and it's hard to leave an abuser it's hard to leave and not only is it hard to leave your abuser when that's like possibly the one way you have a roof over your head, but you also have your seven children. Yeah, and back then divorce was not okay. No, and he's a decorated Military, sergeant. Yeah. Like, yeah. no. Uh, so yeah, she also had bruises on her, and she would tell the kids that they needed to pray every single day so they do not meet their father in hell. Oh my god! Like scared. Not one big happy family. Mm-mm. So this case is now going to go from zero to a hundred. <laughs> like strapping in. Here we go. Strap in. Yes. Pull on the tug. Make sure you're yeah. actually there. Yeah. <laughs> Disneyland style. <laughs> Pull on the yellow tab on exactly. your left hand side. <laughs> About two years after he had retired from the military on April 3rd, 1981, Ronald was being investigated by a Cloudcroft New Mexico Department of Human Services because he was seen giving very more than friendly kisses goodbye to his 17 year old daughter. Stop it. Shayla. Nope. I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be here anymore. When she was questioned by her school counselor, she admitted that her father was raping her and that she was actually, in fact, pregnant with his baby. Get the fuck out. Yep. No. Hearing that he was under investigation and knowing that he was, in fact, raping his daughter, he fled to New Mexico. He fled New Mexico with the entire family. Like, like no one's going to (laughs) notice. Oh, no. They dropped charges. What? Nothing happens. What? Nothing happens. What? what they fled he went away nothing happened Uh, uh, yeah i know (laughs) first they went to ward arkansas then to dover arkansas where they found a 13 acre tract of land six and a half miles north of dover it was far away from people already and then also located in like a dense wooded area they had constructed two older model mobile homes paired them together like fused them together to make a larger living space but neither of them had telephones or indoor plumbing and the kids were the ones that would dig out holes like in the back to make outhouses what is this the the beginning of holes remember the holes that the kids had to dig no stop it no yeah we're going there no he made a makeshift fence out of cinder blocks and barbed wire with some of the fence reaching as high as 10 feet tall 
the driveway, which is loosely called a driveway, had several large no trespassing signs. Like it was just like dotted across like multiple large. <laughs> and it was near impossible to enter this area because it was made out of red clay when it was wet or like snowing. Mm-hmm. It was like almost impossible. Mushy, mushy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The children were meant to keep the lawn mowed and Ronald would have piles of junk that he claimed were building material all over the yard, including several junk cars on like the cinder block things, you know, and like various uh, stages of demolition. Yeah. Just like randomly all over the house. I can picture it. Yes. Right. It's very <laughs> when I was because I some a lot of the articles didn't really explain like what was going on. I told myself like going into 2022. We're, we're looking for descriptions. Yeah. We're going to get a whole picture painted. He painted so yeah. I did it. <laughs> he would end up naming this property Mockingbird Hill. M- what? Mockingbird Hill? Hill. 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 Okay. I heard hell. And it, I was like. They that. probably, the kids probably called it that, but like Hill. Okay. Yeah. Ronald was working at different low paying jobs in the nearby town of Russellville. One, he was working as uh, an accounts receivable clerk okay. at Woodline motor fright freight mine <laughs> i was thinking that good mythical morning song the uh, one with the couches oh yeah <laughs> until he was fired due to multiple reports of inappropriate sexual advances bro no means no he's got a problem uh, mm. not being reprimanded at all for this he then went to work at a sinclair mini mart for oh, about a year and a half clear for me that's my favorite guest i know you know what it's it's yes actually it's my second dinosaur because flying j is cool okay you know, yeah, get it. Yeah. yeah all right <laughs> so he quit there uh december 18th 1987 about a year and a half later because he had other plans oh did he oh he did are we gonna hear these plans they're coming right Do now i have to plans are coming <laughs> if you're day one or you know <laughs> Just a few days before Christmas, on December 22nd, he woke up and decided, very consciously, that he was going to kill his entire family. Why? First, he bludgeoned and shot his son, Gene, (gasps) and his wife, Becky. He then strangled his three-year-old daughter, daughter Barbara. What? Yep. He then had a beer and dumped their bodies in the four-foot hole that he had told his kids to dig for an outhouse. I know you were going to say that. Mm Mm-hmm. He always knew what he was going to use that for, and they unknowingly dug their own graves. The other, the, oh, what, what? <laughs> the other children were at school, so he sat on the porch and waited for them to come home. As they got off the bus, he told them all that he had a Christmas present for them and that he wanted to give it to them one by one, so they would have to wait their turn to come inside the house. Nope. His daughter, 17-year-old Lorita, was first to get her, quote, gift separating her from her siblings he strangled her and then drowned her oh that's real personal mm-hmm. eddie marianne and becky not the wife but another daughter mm-hmm. were all killed in the same fashion and then dumped in the same hole he's not done no it was pre-scheduled that the simmons would have an after christmas dinner party on december 26th he just killed these people on his, his, his kids and wife on December 22nd. Mm-hmm. Now we're on the 26th. And Ronald's 23-year-old son, Billy, and his 21-year-old wife, Renetta, Renetta May, Renetta, Renetta, <laughs> Renetta, May, and their 20-month-old son came over. 
As soon as they entered the house, they were shot dead and their bodies placed in a neat row by the kitchen table covered by the coats, but their coats and tablecloths. He then he shot the baby, their 20 month old baby. Oh my God. It got worse. Mm-hmm. And placed him into the trunk of one of his junk cars. Sheila, who he was raping, was now moved out of the house, 24, 24 years old and married to 33 year old Dennis McNutley. They came over with their 20-month-old Michael and 7-year-old Sylvia, who was the child and grandchild of Ronald's. Oh, that's Sheila, right. Yeah. Mm. Sheila was shot, and her body was set next to the others with a nice tablecloth placed over her. Out of all the people, she was given special treatment. Mm-hmm. He then shot Dennis and strangled Sylvia. Michael was then strangled and placed into another junk car that was out in the yard. But wait, there's more. No. The same day, he drove to Russellville to stop at a Sears and pick up a Christmas present that he had ordered, but hadn't made it in time for Christmas, which is just weird. Mm -hmm. And then he went to a private club. Then he went back home and watched TV and hung out for the weekend in the house that all the dead bodies are in. Mm -hmm. Monday, December 28th, he drove to Walmart and bought another gun. Why? He then drove to Peel and Eddie Law Firm and shot 24-year-old secretary Kathy Kendrick four times in the head, killing her. I'm guessing that's someone who... He had previously made sexual mm-hmm. advances towards her and she rejected him. Fucking knew it. Yep. He left there and headed to Taylor Oil Company, where he shot the owner, Rusty Taylor. He survived. Oh. Unfortunately, though, his employee, Jim Schaffen, did not survive the shooting. Workers there heard the commotion hid like out of fear and called the cops but ronald was already on his way to his next destination sinclair mini mart oh my god he shot two employees there but they both survived his last stop was at his previous job woodland motor freight where he went to specifically kill joyce boots i think it's butts but b-u-t-t-e-s it's boots butte butes mm-hmm. butes he shot her and then sat in the office where the secretary was just talking with her, waiting for the police to show up and literally told the secretary that he specifically came to kill Joyce. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. When they got there, he handed over his gun and surrendered with no resistance. Why? There's theories. Okay. 16 people in total would be killed by Ronald and four wounded. Ronald was in custody at a local detention center when police showed up at his home in Dover, where they found all the bodies of his family members. They had no idea about the rest. They were like, yeah, like he told them, like, there's probably something going on over there or whatever. But how infants, infants are in trunks and dead. No. Ronald, what? How you explain that? Like, I just. What what even would be your, I mean, because the cops would just be like, it, it's incredulous. It's just, it's too, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And he never gives a reason why he did this. I but there is speculation and like things that are like, that seems plausible. Okay. And there's a lot of people at fault. We'll get into that at the end. So like you said, it's unbe- unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And they're all feeling that way as well. Cause Ronald was sent to the Arkansas state hospital in little rock for a competency evaluation. Yeah. Real quick. Yeah. Psychiatrist, Dr. Irving found him sane and capable to stand trial. You go Dr. Irving. Yeah. He would end up having two trials 
May 12th, 1988, he was sent to death by lethal injection, plus 147 years. He said, fuck this life, fuck fuck your next next life. life. Fuck this life, you're dead. Yeah. (laughs) For the deaths of Kendrick and Chaffin. His second trial, held on February 10th, 1989, was for the killings of his 14 family members, which he was obviously found guilty on all 14 counts. During his trial, he said... In my particular case, anything short of death would be cruel and unusual punishment. Asking for the death penalty. Right then and there, I would have been like, nope. You don't get it. Off the table. Yeah. If you get it, suffer, you motherfucker. Yep. John Harris, his defense attorney, said he was ready to die. He was at peace with it. He wanted it. I think he felt like they're going to take him out, his family. He's going to take them out first. I think that was his mindset. We'll get into that in a second. Oh, my God. It's speculated that Ronald has seen a text exchange between his wife and their older son, Billy, talking about how to leave him and that she needed a divorce. Also, that his daughter, Sheila, who had Sylvia, his daughter, gross, Mm -hmm. had left home and married, so he was feeling possibly abandoned. Oh, fuck you. May have been a factor for him killing his entire family. John Harris, his defense attorney, is not blind to the fact that there are more to blame. If authorities had arrested him back in 1981 for abusing and raping his daughter. This never would have fucking happened. This never would have fucking happened. And the jobs that had let him go due to sexual advances had contacted authorities. This could have been prevented. Tell on him. I know it's slim, though, because you know how it is. Like, How many cases have we done where they constantly raping girls and people and they're just like and they eh, just, you, slap on the wrist a, a three months yeah. okay bye okay bye and then they learn how to not get away for longer because then they start killing yeah. like it's a what is it double-edged sword yeah like it's so bad the community was super upset for obvious reasons because they did they lived near these people yeah their home was kind of located in a rural area but their children were still going to public school. Mm-hmm. There were signs everywhere. This was like Gabriel. This was just cut and dry. You could see it right there. Mm-hmm. And people are just mad. <laughs> but June 25th, 1990, Ronald Simmons was executed by lethal ejection in Arkansas. Nobody within his family that was spared came to claim his body. So it was buried in a co- un- in a common unmarked grave fuck your life fuck your life yeah and that's the spree killer ronald james fucking Simmons. hate it thanks yeah why why i mean like so like what was the break what what i mean probably uh, the most plausible the text is yeah well the text and then his daughter mm-hmm. marrying another man or oh, whatever take my crazy meds <laughs> my god <laughs> but to be able to just like kill everyone in your entire family and their babies and babies, babe, not even two years old. And he like bludgeoned his wife and just threw her in, out in the back. And then that the is kids dug. Yeah. And then his daughter that he was raping, she mm-hmm. gets special treatment with a tablecloth. Like mm-hmm. that man is fucked. That man is just why? I mean, okay. So <laughs> I was going to try and like, stop cussing so much but it's because of fuckheads like this that i can't <laughs> I, know. I can't i can't hold back from calling him a fuckhead because he's a fucking fuckhead yeah. and i want him to fucking he's actual trash mm. he is trash he's a terrible human being I'm not even sure he's human at least he's dead i wish that he would have rotted 
Yeah. You know? Because he wanted to die. Yeah, he won. He was in there for a few years, though, which is good. But I wish they would have heard him ask for the death penalty and been like, oh, never mind. That's what you want? We're not going to give it to no. you? No. I just, I, I can't with it. That was a terrible case. Thank you, <laughs> I'm Ashley. so sorry. I hated it. Yeah. Do you want to hear a fact? Yes, I do. Okay. Cool. Well, it's not creepy, but it's, um, it makes sense. I mean, my case was kind of creepy. Yeah, you so. kind of ruined it for me. Thanks. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, you know what? Like, when you get your best thoughts in the shower. Okay. Do you know why? Why? Warm water, like, actually makes your creativity bubbles fly in your brain. Oh. Yeah. So, there you go. That's actually kind of funny because a lot of times when I'm like, I should go do some body painting or, like, do something. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't feel like it. And then I go take a shower and I think of all these looks. And mm-hmm. I'm like, but now I don't want to do it because, like, I just showered. <laughs> Double it. <laughs> See, everyone always has their, like, they repeat conversations and fights in, in the, the shower. shower. And they're like, oh, I should have said that. Like, oh, I should have done this. Like, I remember one day you somebody who worked at Norm's was in the shower. And I just hear them be like, Fuck. I forgot the ranch. <laughs> never forget that. It's so funny. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, that's weird science, but yeah. Forgot their table's ranch. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird that it took all, you know, all the way till the shower. Because you're thinking. You're like, mm-hmm. where did they go? You're thinking the conversations. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. So a little bit of news. We're taking the rest of December off. <laughs> yeah. Happy holidays. After you just got like 16 kills and four wounded. We need and the a, Mona Lisa got stolen. The Mona Lisa got stolen and got, it got taken back. Like, you know, happy ending on that one. Yeah. And we just kind of want a non-murderous Christmas this year. So sorry guys, but uh, we'll see you in the new year. We'll see you next year. Yeah. No, wait. We'll hear you. What? Wait, we don't hear them. Look, they listen, hear us. What? <laughs> Look. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be posting in the new year. With our New Year's resolutions as well. Obviously, we'll be around on Instagram. Social media. And obviously, I'll be watching True Crime, even though it's supposed to be a break. But <laughs> okay, murder-free, except not. <laughs> We're just going to be stacking up on more notes anyway. I know, right? <laughs> now that I don't have to t- make notes, I'm going to be over here like... <laughs> exactly. It's uh, it's going to be a nice little break. And uh, we're going to see you, hear you. You'll hear us when we get back. Yeah. Don't forget to use code BLOODBATH at wickedclothes.com for 10% off your order. Yeah. Especially because it's Christmas. I was just about to say, that's a great Christmas present. Get your true crime loving fanatics their fucking shit. <laughs> and then we'll be posting a mini Christmas giveaway so sometime during the week. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. Cool. But wait. There's always more. Bye-bye. 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 See you next year.